Gospels today. Turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Again, we just uh, certainly thank the Lord for the beautiful sunshine. I love sunshine. I, uh, usually in the winter, I take vitamin D by the bucket. I, um, I, I just, I take, uh, well, usually I take 5,000 milligrams a day. Um, some of you are going, that's too much. Well, then don't take that much. But uh, I seem to be doing all right with it. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I, I don't really have any side effects or anything, but, you know. But um, I just want you to take your Bible and turn over to Luke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, I haven't been taking it that awfully long. That's probably why I'm having some adverse effects. But uh, I, I, I haven't been able to pick any up. But I'll get it here probably the next day, and then I'll be back on again with, you know, the winter. Man, it's so dull around Akron, just cloudy and dreary and I don't know. I like those things that make me feel good, you know, like McDonald's cheeseburgers. <clears throat> all right. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. All right. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And Luke chapter 2 in verse 1 there. We'll, we'll again start off here again this morning as we're in our series, of course, a Born to Die series. And uh, just basically a Christmas series that I put together, and I trust it's been a help to you. But today we're going to look at another aspect of that series. And so here we are. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, we've kicked off each of our uh, messages uh, in this series with this passage. And we especially noted the phrase swaddling clothes. And as a result of that phrase, we recognized that swaddling clothes were, uh, give us an indication or a foreshadow of what Christ's life and, well, his death would be. Or that he would basically be born to die. So when he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, they were used for infants, of course. And, uh, of course, they were strips of cloth. And they'd be wrapped tightly around the infant, making them feel secure and comfortable. And, uh, but, but then those same swaddling clothes would be used on the, the body of a dead person. And they would be wrapped tightly around that dead person, holding in the spices and those things which would preserve the body. And so when Jesus, and it was common, by the way, this wasn't uncommon. It wasn't like Jesus was the only one that they ever wrapped in swaddling clothes or anything. But because they did that and because they make a, the Bible makes a point of, of making that clear to us, there's obviously some sense of, of understanding that we're to come to. We're supposed to obviously get something from that. And what we get is that not only was he born wrapped in swaddling clothes, but those swaddling clothes pointing to his death or foreshadowing his death tell us that he was born to die. He was born to die. When Jesus arrived on this earth, he already had an appointment with death and his life was going to be lived to die. 
And so we note that here in our passage. And as we went along, we started talking about the, the, the or, or expressing uh, our concern, saying, well, how in the world could Jesus live his life the way he did? How could he live each day knowing that death was all that he had to look forward to and yet uh, live a victorious life? How did he do that? How could he face the cross with such optimism? How could he look at it and ultimately be drawn toward it and embrace the cross? And do it so victoriously. I mean, how come he wasn't crying? (laughs) That's how most of us would do it. Take it away! Jesus did say to his father, you know, Lord, would you take it away from me? How about it, Lord? Would you take it away? But not my will, but thine be done. And so it was already slated. It was already on the calendar. He was going to die. And he had to die, as you and I well know, or we'd burn in hell forever. He said, that's a pretty harsh way to say it. Well, might as well just get it out there because the truth is, is that there's only two places we spend eternity. It's either in heaven or in a place called hell. And the fact is, is if Jesus wouldn't have come to die, if he wouldn't have sacrificed his life, his body, his all, on that cross, shed his blood, was buried and rose again the third day, we'd not have any hope. We'd all perish because of our sin. So thank God that when he was born, he was born to die, yes, but he faced it so victoriously with such a good attitude. How did he do that? Well, we said a few weeks ago that he could face it because he lived a life of purpose. We don't have time to discuss that, but he lived a life of purpose. And then last week we talked about the fact that he lived a life of passion. As he made his way to that cross, as he hung there in agony... Oh, he was thinking about you. And today, I want to address one other area. I want to address this area, that he lived a life of promise. He lived a life of promise. Well, we're going to get right into it, so let's have a very quick word of prayer and move along today and see what we can't learn from the precious book, the Word of God. Father, we thank you again for this time together. Bless us now. Holy Spirit of God, fill me. Lord, may I be a blessing to your people today. And Lord, if there be even one, if not a number in this room, that have yet to receive and accept you as Savior and Lord, I want them to trust you today. But Father, nobody wants them to trust you more than you do. O God of heaven, have your will in our life. May we willingly surrender our hearts even as Jesus willingly surrendered his life to you on Calvary. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. A man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon, and uh, he snuggled up toward the dugout, and he asked the boy, one of the boys that was in there, all dressed in his baseball suit and all, and he, he said, hey, young fella, he said, hey, what's the score here? Little guy turned around, and he said, well, it's 18 to nothing. We're behind. Fellas looked up at that boy and said, I bet you're discouraged. The little kid said, Well, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up yet. (laughs) 
You know, it's been said there's, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Did you know that every 14.6 minutes, someone in the United States dies by suicide? Nearly one million people making a, a suicide attempt every year. Suicide rates are highest for people between the ages of 40 and 59. That's something. You wouldn't think that, would you? You think, oh, they're established. They've got everything going well. Well, it's statistically true. Suicide, this is an alarming rate, is the third leading cause of death for young people ages 15 to 24. Suicide has now, in America now, the United States, become the tenth leading cause of death among all of those inhabiting the United States. Tenth. I mean, I, I'm sure cancer's up there and heart disease and all those things, but tenth. People willingly taking their lives. What's sparking this epidemic? I mean, why are so many people anxious to close the book on their life? In most cases, they simply feel like they have no hope. They don't see any hope. They feel hopeless. From Parade Magazine comes a story of a millionaire by the name of Eugene Land. This young, this entrepreneur, he greatly changed the lives of a sixth grade class in East Harlem. Mr. Lang, he had asked, uh, was asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders. I mean, what could he say to inspire these children, these students, most of whom would ultimately drop out of high school, never ever graduate? He wondered how he could even get these children's attention. He wasn't necessarily their, of their ethnic background or their race. He stood before this group of children thinking, there's no way in the world they're going to want to listen to me. There he shuffled his papers and he kind of rattled them around thinking, what in the world? And then all of a sudden he just thought to himself, I'm just going to speak from my heart. And he said, Stay in school. Stay in school. And I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. At that very moment, the lives of those students changed. For the first time, they had hope. One of the students made this statement... She said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden opportunity and a golden feeling. Nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school. See, the tragedy in our day is that there's little, if any, hope. And you know, that fact is addressed in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. If you turn there, chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 13, let's take just a moment 
and note this. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 11. He says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. All he's saying is, he says, you Gentiles who are called uncircumcised by the Jews. That's all he's saying. That at that time you were without Christ. You Gentiles were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having what? No hope. Let's say that together. Having what? No hope. Why is it that they had no hope? He goes on to say, and without God in the world. I'm going to tell you something. You can take those two phrases, no hope, without God in the world, and they'll always go together. Where there's no God, there is no hope. And we're not talking about little g-gods, although those can, at times, give temporary hope. I mean, the newlywed says, Oh, life is good, I'm married. It doesn't always last. Forever. We know that the marital bliss ought to. But how many folks have been disappointed? So obviously, just because we finally found a life mate, a spouse, that doesn't mean that we have hope forever. A young person says, but I have my future ahead of me, my life ahead of me, I've got my health, I'm strong. Well, sooner or later you'll lose hope in that too. But the one thing or one person we don't ever lose hope in is the God that we carry around in our life. When you know God, you have hope. When you have God, you have hope. But if you aren't convinced that God is with you, and His work is not manifest in your life and in your family and in your environment around you, it's quick and easy to lose hope. How could Jesus Christ live each day knowing that death was all he had to look forward to, and yet live victoriously. Jesus lived a life of promise. He had a life of hope. His outlook was not limited to his present circumstances. He could see past his present because of his faith. And his faith produced a tremendous hope and a promising outlook in his life. He lived his life differently than most do. First of all, he lived with courage. He lived with courage. Jesus could live with courage because he knew he was not alone. See, before Jesus began his public ministry, he was baptized. 
You notice we have a baptism right up here, and it's full of water. And at times we'll have people go through those waters, be baptized. Obviously, that's an important time, a very critical time in the life of a believer. Once you've received and accepted Christ, you, you need to take that first step of obedience and find your way to the baptismal waters, following Jesus' footsteps. Because Jesus Christ Himself was baptized before He began what is called His public ministry. And as a result of that, in order to be a member of Community Baptist Temple, you need to be saved. You need to be baptized. You need to have followed through in obedience with the commands of God. And as a result of that, then you can begin to serve God in a very public way. Jesus Christ set the example. He put the pattern in place. And we only follow the pattern. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Will you note with me for just a moment that the Holy Ghost descended like a dove and lighted upon Him. See, the Holy Spirit come upon the Lord We later read, after the baptism, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What does all that mean? He was filled with the Holy Ghost. I thought He was God. He is. But the Holy Spirit of God came upon Him and filled Him. And He was never alone. It means that from that time on, without a doubt, the Lord accomplished every deed and performed every miracle in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was not alone. When He healed the lame, when He healed the lepers, He wasn't alone. When He faced the, 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 the raging mob, when He heard them cry, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! He wasn't alone. The world may have been against Him, but He was by no means facing it alone. I know John 1.11 says, He came unto His own and His own received Him not. But He also goes on to say in John 10.30, I and My Father are one. Jesus faced the world and life with great courage because He didn't have to face it alone. Number two, He lived with confidence. Not only courage, but confidence. The fact is that Jesus was born to die. Still, He faced life with a positive outlook. How could He do that, we say? Well, He lived with the confidence that He would live again. Every day He woke up, He knew He was headed to Calvary. But He also knew He'd rise again. In Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, because of time, I'll just read it. Saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn Him to death, and shall deliver Him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock Him, and shall scourge Him, and shall spit upon Him, and shall kill Him. Hold on. Here it is now. And the third day, He shall rise again. That only Jesus said, man, I'm gonna, we're going to Jerusalem. And there's no doubt they're going to go falsely accuse me. They're going to bring me before the council. They're going to go ahead and condemn me to die. And I'm going to have to hang on a cruel cross. 
But the third day, I'm going to rise again, fellas. Just want to let you guys know, when, when it looks like all the chips are down, and it seems like we're all out for the count, I just want you to know, I'm coming back. I'm going to live again. Because he knew that he would live again. He could live his life with confidence, knowing that, yes, I'm not going to die and be dead forever. I'm going to live again. And you know what? You need that, and so do I today. Jesus was confident that he would rise again, and so facing death, he understood that it wasn't the end. So he lived with courage, he lived with confidence, and number three, he lived with certainty. He lived with certainty. We know our Lord was courageous, he, he, and he knew he was courageous because he knew he wasn't alone. He was confident that he would live again, but he was also was certain that he would rule one day. He was certain he would rule one day. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. We're well aware of that. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Of this truth, we rejoice. But most folks never truly understand that although He came to earth to die on our behalf, His death was not the greatest day on the celestial calendar. It may have been a wonderful day for us because without Christ's death, His shed blood, without His sacrifice on our behalf, we would perish in a place called hell. We'd never make it to the shores of, of heaven. But, but, not, but on God's calendar, that certainly wasn't the greatest day. God didn't look down and say, oh, praise the Lord, this is the greatest day of my life. This is the most wonderful time ever on the history of the world. This is the greatest time that I have to look forward to. This day right here, the death of my son, people spitting on him and mocking him and making fun of him and maligning him. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. God doesn't see it that way. It was a necessity. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, the Bible says, but not because it pleased him to watch his son suffer. It pleased him because he knew that the only way we could be saved and washed from our sin was by the bruising of his son. But that's not the greatest day on God's calendar. I'm pretty happy about it. And although we are extremely grateful and very happy that He took our place. There's even a bigger day ahead. The big day on God's calendar is when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to His rightful place on the throne of David to rule and reign as King Supreme. In Revelation chapter 19. Turn there if you would please. Verse 11. We see the Christ returning here now. In our Revelation series, a seven seal series, we talked a lot about this. But we noted that the present age and time in which we live will soon be interrupted with the rapture of the church or the catching away. And all those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be taken out. And those that have yet to do so will be left behind. The tribulation period will begin and that's when the Antichrist rises to power. And as we all remember and know so well, the, he will introduce the mark of the beast and the people will take the mark of the beast, those that have yet to receive Christ. And there they will go through the tribulation period and ultimately they who take the mark of the beast will be cast into the lake of fire along with him. 
And then the, the Lord will return from heaven at the end of those seven years, those, that seven-year tribulation, and all of a sudden, the millennium will kick off, a thousand-year reign, Christ being on the throne of David, ruling with a rod of iron, finally being honored, respected, and worshipped as He deserves by those that He rules over. And I saw heaven opened, chapter 19, verse 11, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule, shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Our Lord may have faced unprecedented oppression unwavering opposition, unimaginable obstacles. But he did so with great hope. He was certain that all the ills in this life would be made right and that in the end, he would rule and reign. Oh, I know the world and the devil may have been permitted to torment and even torture him for now. But he knew he had assumed his rightful place on that throne as king and as victor. So we see that the Lord Jesus Christ lived with courage. He was not alone. He lived with confidence he would live again. He lived with certainty that he would rule one day. So what can we learn then very quickly? First of all, like Christ... You and, I need to face, you and I need not face the world or life, this life alone. You don't have to face it alone. You too can face this life with courage. As a matter of fact, in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 20, the Bible says, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Remember when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit of God lighted upon Him, came to Him. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that He literally moves into your heart. He resides within you. You're no longer alone. You need not face this life. You need not face this world by yourself. Oh, you say, well, I have someone to face it with me. I've got a wife. I've got my children. I've got my education. I've got my 401k. I've got something. I've got someone to face this life with. Let me tell you, those things will all fade away. But the one person that is the same yesterday, today, and forever is Jesus Christ. And when you accept and receive Him into your life, He's there forever. You say, well, what about when I die? Well, then you'll be in His presence. You won't need Him in you because you'll be with Him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which you have of God and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. 
The truth is, is that, and I forgot to pick one up earlier. Let me grab it. I love these mics. The truth is, is that everywhere you go, you take Christ with you. Everywhere you go. It's like, I've got this chair, you know, and I'm, I'm going to stop in. And, and oh, I, I just went to the license bureau. I've got to get my license updated. So I have me a seat, and then I leave one there for Jesus. <laughs> what are you doing with that? Well, Jesus has to have a seat. He's with me all the time. Go to my brother's house or my mom and dad's house. Let me see. I'm going to have a seat over here, but let me set this up here. Ah. Huh. Feels good. Watch the game. Cold drink. That's how it works in my house. What about you guys? Okay, so maybe not quite that smoothly. But nonetheless, got the seat right here. You know whose seat that is, don't you? It's Jesus's. I don't go anywhere without Him. I trusted Him. I received Him. He moved into my life and into my heart. He's with me always. And you want to know something? He's with you. You've got to take one with you. He's always with you. Make sure you have a seat for Him. And that's why you can live this life with courage. You don't have to allow yourself to live in fear continually. God doesn't give us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind, He says. 2 Timothy 1.7 Why? Because I have the God of the universe, the Creator of all things, living in me. And I take Him with me. Sure, rational fear is a good thing. I mean, if I go up to a stove and it's a gas stove and there's a flame, I'm not going to put my hand on the flame. That's only smart. But I mean, rational fear is something that we need to protect us at times. But let me say, I should not live my life in fear. And I have God living in me. Afraid of what's going to happen with the economy. Afraid of what's going to go on in politics. Afraid of what's going to take place in my family. Afraid of what's going to happen at the church. Afraid. Why? Isn't God living in you? You can have some courage I know it may not be pleasant, and I know things may not go our way, but we have God on our side and living in us. Like Christ, you and I need not face the world or life alone. We can face it with courage. Number two, like Christ, you and I can face this world and life with confidence, knowing that we too will rise and live again. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident and, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know, man, I leave this body and it's just simply that. It's, it's just a tabernacle. It houses my spirit, my soul. Man, when I, when I die, all that happens is that the old body goes into a casket or into the grave or is burned up. But I'm still living. I'm living with Him in heaven. The very One who is in my heart just simply stepped out of my body with me, took my hand and crossed me over Chili Jordan. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. 
think of those martyrs that have gone on before. Think of John Bradford, a preacher, and a young man named John Leith, who were martyred for their testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ in 1555. It says, first, when they came to the stake in Smithfield to be burned, Master Bradford lying prostrate on the one side of the stake and the young man, John Leaf, on the other side, they lay flat on their faces, praying themselves the space of a minute or of an hour. Then one of the sheriffs said to Master Bradford, Arise and make an end, for the press of the people is great. At that word, they both stood up upon their feet, and then Master Bradford took a faggot in his hand and kissed it, and so likewise the stake. And when he had so done, he desired of the sheriffs that his servant might have his raiment. For he said, I have nothing else to give him, and besides that, he's a poor man. And the sheriff said, uh, he should have it. And so forthwith, Master Bradford did put off his outer raiment and went to the stake. Notice his outer raiment. Notice his outer raiment. I'm moving on. He is now naked, even though he has under raiment. We're moving on. Just thought I'd move on. Okay, so anyway, and uh, he went to the stake and holding up his hands, casting his countenance up to heaven, he said thus, O O England, England, repent thee of thy sins, repent thee of thy sins. Beware of idolatry, beware of antichrist, take heed, they do not deceive you. And as he was speaking these words, the sheriff bade tie his hands, if he would not be quiet. O Master Sheriff, said Master Bradford, I'm, I'm quiet. God forgive you this, Master Sheriff. One of the officers which made the fire Hearing Master Bradford so speaking to the sheriff said, If you have no better learning than that, you're but a fool, and were best hold your peace. To which words Master Bradford gave no answer, but asked all the world forgiveness, and forgave all the world, and prayed the people to pray for him, and turned his head unto the young man that suffered with him, and said, Be of good comfort, brother. For we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. And so spake no more words than any man did hear, but embracing the reeds, said, Thus straight is the way and narrows the gate that leadeth to eternal life, and few there be that find it. I love what he says to the young man. Be of good comfort, brother. But we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. You know why Pastor Bradford? Do you know why the martyrs that have lived and died and gone on before us through these centuries could get through such heinous and horrible situations? Because they had confidence. Man, I mean they had confidence. that they would rise and live again. Finally, what else do we learn? That like Christ, we too can face this world and life with certainty, knowing that we too will rule and reign one day. Now listen, I'm talking about those who have personally put their faith in Christ, those that have been born again, those that have been saved by the blood of Jesus those that at some point in their life, a time in their life, have acknowledged and recognized that they're sinners and that they deserve a place called hell. Although they don't want to spend one moment there, they know truly in their heart their sin is so great that it would weigh them into the very pits itself. But they look to Christ who died as a sacrifice on their behalf and they say, Lord Jesus, You died on my behalf. Forgive my sin. 
Wash me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Receive me into your kingdom. I accept you as my Lord, my Savior. To those, you can live this life, face this world with certainty, knowing that you too will rule and reign one day. In Revelation 1.5, the Bible says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, hath he made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice he made us kings and priests. The last time I checked, kings rule. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, the Bible says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. You know who you see sitting on those thrones? You guessed it. Those kings and priests mentioned in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Saints of God. Jesus, how can you live your life knowing that the cross is all you had to look forward to? Let me tell you, church of God, he says. I've got a few things. I've got some confidence that I'm never alone. I, 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 not only do I got confidence... But I want you to know that I've got, if I can find it here. I just forgot what the next one was. Hmm. See how uncertain life is? Do you see how uncertain it is? Something that little. Listen, I've got confidence, he says. I, 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 I've got I've got all those things to help me. I'm going to live again. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to rule again. And I'm never alone. You're going to leave here today. And you're going to realize you don't have all the certainty in the world, do you? You don't even know if you're going to get home safe. You don't have the confidence sometimes that you need. And neither do I. All I can say is, is that we can face life with courage, confidence, and certainty. Let me ask you, are you saved today? I mean, do you know you're on your way to heaven? You got it figured out. You got it nailed down. Let's put our Bibles away as we close. Bibles away and kind of get everything situated so we can come to this time undisturbed and really focus our attention on this portion of the service. As we prepare to close, we want to give you an opportunity to respond now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing in life. But I know you can face it with confidence. You can face it with certainty. You can face it with courage. But you need Christ in your life. Do you know for sure He's there for you, with you, always? Father, I come to You. I just ask Your God You'd bless us now in these next few moments. May You just be with Your people. We'll thank You, Father, as You do Your work in our lives. With every head bowed and